the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Beth Bacall. I do podcasts on inspiring people. And Darren Mulligan from We Are Messengers is incredibly inspiring. He is a speaker of truth. He's a singer of praise. And he is a man that really understands pain and what it takes to push through that pain. And I love what he has to say about all of those things and how he really has a great platform and gives people permission, the permission that a lot of people won't give themselves, that maybe it's okay to be not okay. Take a listen. Darren. Yes, ma'am. The first thing that happens when people meet Darren Mulligan from Wear Messengers is your heritage is always addressed. You're from Ireland. <laughs> yes, I am. I was born and raised in a small little village in the northern part of the Republic of Ireland. I think we had 30 people. We had a pub, a chapel, and a shop. And uh, today that village has grown to over 100 people, but we only have a pub and a chapel. The shop closed. Incredible. <laughs> I brought this to show you. Ah. This was from my trip. To Ireland when I kissed the Blarney Stone. Oh no, well you should never kiss the Blarney Stone because it's deeply unhygienic. <laughs> <laughs> That's you kissing it? That's me. I was there, I stood there one day and looked at it and I was like, I think this is something just to get American visitors to pay extra money to kiss a stone. It's actually really beautiful, the scene though, the castle, but yeah, don't kiss the stone. That would be an Irish man's advice to you because locals have a, a history of playing pranks on visiting. I was curious if how, how you were connected with the Blarney Stone, if there was a connection in any way. Uh, no, absolutely not. For me, people talk about the word Blarney like, uh, like it's a gift of the gab, a gift of vocabulary. My wife always makes fun of me. She says I could talk my way out of a paper bag. <laughs> I say I could probably talk myself into it more often than not. Um, I think Irish people have a gift for storytelling. We have one of the highest rates of alcoholism in the Western world. And I think it's because we have a deep understanding of the sadness of humanity. We have a deep understanding of the, the great melancholy of being a human. And uh, we also have a deep understanding of the great joy that comes along with that, mm. which is why you'll see us singing at funerals, having wakes where we, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll drink and we'll feast and we'll sing and we'll cry all at the same time. But without Jesus, there's nothing to temper that. So we have one of the highest rates of alcoholism, one of the highest rates of depression, anxiety, suicide uh, in the Western world because we are godless people. We like to pretend that we're godly and that we have a cultural heritage traced back to St. Patrick, but really we have just a form of traditional cultural Christianity. So for me, knowing Jesus, I'm still deeply aware of that melancholy that lives in each of us, which is why I write the kind of music I write and why we speak to what we speak. But I have this hope that is rooted in Jesus. So he has used my blarney and my gift of being able to tell stories to put words to things that people don't know how to feel. It is your foundation. You've got a story about St. Patrick. You used to work near Tara yeah. Hill. Yeah. When I, when I came to Jesus, 
I got a, I got a job managing homes for kids with disabilities and challenging behaviour. And there was an area called Tara, the Hill of Tara. And this place goes back, you know, three, four, five thousand years. You know, they were building huge tombs long before the pyramids. And we used to go there with some of the kids from the programme. And we'd, we'd just walk around and we'd, you know, play and sing and whatever. And uh, yeah, St. Patrick in the 4th century or the 5th century, 4th century, I think, went to the Hill of Tara to confront the great Irish pagan kings, the Celtic warriors, you know with this gospel of peace. You know, he should have been, you know, killed and eaten alive, possibly. But the Lord's favour was on Patrick, and Patrick managed to change an entire civilization. And people forget about the Irish, that during the medieval ages, whenever literature was being burned, Christianity was dying because of a lack of copying of the scriptures, but it was the Irish monks that kept Christianity alive in Europe. And had the Irish not sat by candlelight and transcribed these words, uh, Christianity would have died, would have ceased to exist. Now... We're a long, long way from those people, but we're back, you know. I believe that the Lord is raising up a generation of Irish Christians that would lose their lives, that would lose their lives because they believe that other people are worth more than they are. And that's not a false sense of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking more of others. And so he's raising up a generation that think more of others than themselves. That's a buzzword for you, humble. Well, it's... It can be, people talk about how we are messengers and, and me and my family that we're authentic and sincere. And I think the danger with what we do is the more successful we become, the risk of feigning authenticity to continue to get success is the real risk for us. Now, I'll be honest, like a year ago, I, I wanted to quit playing music again. I wanted to go back to Ireland because I was really tired of chasing success, tired of looking around and seeing what everyone else was doing. And it was getting in on me. I was feeling insecure and I was starting to try and copy other people's strategies so a very simple thing i used was i went to all of our social media and we deleted every single band personality record label person everyone that had anything to do with music from all of our social medias and the reason was is i wanted to do what i was sent here to do i wanted to focus solely on what the lord asked us to do and it has been so freeing not to look left and right you know i've really found myself again in christ my family we found our purpose again it's hard, brutally hard to do what we do, but I'm not going to live my life vicariously through somebody else's experience of Jesus Christ. Do you know, we have a culture here where we think that if we look at the pastor and listen to his words, that there are words, or that his experience is my experience. It's not. The beautiful thing about the gospel is I get to have my own personal experience of Jesus Christ that nobody else in all of history has had or will ever have. When you reach the end of yourself, do you know what you find? you find that you're really not that special. You're just not. I know we want to tell each other all day long, you're just so special. You're not really. You're just a really broken human being that somehow the king of the world is massively in love with. And why you're special is because your worth is not found in what you do or what you say you are, but it's found in who he says you are and what he has done. That's harsh, but it's true, isn't it? Very true. It's a very airbrushed world, uh, a very social media world, very here's the highlight reel. Mm. Uh, it makes people feel better than others. Yeah, and I don't talk a lot about me or us. I try not to. But that song um, that we've been talking about this morning, a song called Maybe It's Okay, and it's exactly why we wrote the song, because we have presented a part of ourselves that we hope is palatable to everybody else in society. We hide our anxiety behind medication, behind closed doors. We hide our depression. We hide our loneliness. We hide our insecurity. We hide our suicidal ideation and our self-harming. We hide everything that's broken and lonely. 
And sometimes those are the most true things about us. We hide those and we present the part we hope people will like. And so we wrote a song that would say, you know what, maybe it's okay if I'm not okay because the one who holds the world's holding on to me. Maybe it's all right if I'm not all right because the one who holds the stars is holding my whole life. And the truth is that Jesus doesn't want the pretend part of it. That thing's not even real. Like he wants us with all those wee wounds and peculiarities. And he wants to take those things and he wants to wrap his arms around them and us. And he wants to remind us that, you know what, it's all right because I've got you, even when it doesn't feel like that. That goes so against what the world tries to make us to believe because it's such a battle. Because the moment you address those feelings, you feel shame. All the time. But what does the scripture say? The world tells you to feel shameful because of the way you feel. And the scriptures say there is no condemnation. There's no shame for those who are found inside of Christ Jesus. So I get to choose to believe what the world tells me, that I have to be all right. Or I get to choose to go, Jesus, I'm a mess. Can you please come? Like, and can you come please today? Like now? Because maybe I can't make it to tomorrow. And I have found that he has never left me, never forsaken me, even at my lowest. And it's the most real experience. I'm not saying you can't find Jesus on the mountaintop. Yeah, he's there too. But I tell you this, my most rich and true experience of Jesus have been found in the suffering, in the heartache. And I used to think, I used to try and run away from that and try and get to the mountaintop again. But on the mountaintop, all that's really there is me exalting and how I got to the mountaintop. But in the valley, he's all I have. And I'm not saying stay in the valley. Please don't take that as what I'm saying. But when you're there, realize it's just as beautiful, just as holy, just as rich. Well, you have a song on your new album where you wrote about when you were young, you used to dream about where you are right now. Oh, wow. You heard that? I didn't know you had that. That's awesome. Yeah, I wrote this song and it was called Simple, but it's probably going to change to You Just Want My Heart. Yeah, I was just writing a song one day and I had the lyric, you know, I used to sit and dream about the place where I am now. But now I'm here and I'm still dreaming of an even bigger house. But I remember that morning when you came and set me free. Oh, can we go back to how it used to be? You see, you come to Christ as a 27-year-old man and everything's new and everything's hopeful and everything is for him and you don't want you anymore. And then time goes by and all those old things creep in and you try and impress people and you try and make them want you and make them love you, which is a futile case anyway. It's not possible. And then you have success and then you go, oh, well... It'd be nice to have some more success. Got to keep that thing moving. Dude, two years ago, we were on food stamps and literally on food stamps in Franklin, Tennessee. Moved my whole family, my kids, my wife. We had nothing on this big record deal. You know, everyone thinks you're swimming in money. We had nothing. Sitting with used coats and used clothes and used furniture. And uh, we were like, God, oh, you please help, you know. And then Everything Comes Alive came out. It was the fastest growing single at Word Music in 10 years. Then Magnify, Huge Smash, then Point to You, an even bigger song. And then, you know, there's a new song coming out. With My Victory, with Crowder, we had a song in the shack. We had all these MTV placements, all this stuff, right? And I don't say that to be like, oh, listen to what we've done. I'm saying I had nothing. And now, two years later, my kids are well-fed, they're well-clothed, we have, we have a home. I'm like, why, God? I'm not even that talented. I'm not even that good at what I do. That's what I tell myself. And then he says, you're exactly what I made you to be, darn. And you're a mess, but you're my mess. And I'm okay with that, you know? <laughs> you're a special mess. I'm going to use that word for you. Well, I don't know. I'll, thank you. I'll say thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I pulled together some words that I thought you could work off of to share more of Darren's story. Mm. So if I say, can we do some word association? <laughs> if I say a this word. This could go anywhere with me. You know that. I do. Okay. So uh, if I say a word, can you just tell me what it makes you think of and huh? perhaps share a story around it? Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Sparkles. My, um, my baby boy, Caleb. 
child suffered more than children should and uh, he's just got the brightest eyes in the world. Guitar. Yeah, uh, we got some good friends called Dan, Cindy Bloom and uh, they lost their son Eric to heroin addiction and one of the first people we met in Nashville and I needed a guitar from a first radio tour actually when I came to the fish I had this guitar with me it was one that him and his son Eric had made because he's a guitar maker he's a luthier and he gave me this guitar and he said darn my son Eric couldn't make it all the way he said but maybe you could take him the rest with you Aha. and I said yeah I'll take him I'll take him and so I would tell that story about Eric and just recently his dad gave me a brand new electric guitar that he had made and, and it's the same story it's Eric's guitar you know so mm. Bus. <laughs> Crash, fire, you know. There was a man died. There was a man died in that accident. And uh, I had so much survivor's guilt for a long time about that. And I said this yesterday to a group of people. I remember praying after we had the bus accident, you know. I said to God, how many times can you kick me in the head before I stay down? And in God's very Irish way, he just said as many times as I like down. Mm. And I had to come to terms with that, that somehow he's good even saying that to me. And uh, I've come to that conclusion that he is very good, no matter what the price Baptism. Ah, yeah, my kids, yeah. It's funny, we got four kids. You know, one of them's a newborn, and we Caleb is six. And, and, you know, we were talking about the baptism for the last few months, and he's still too young, and I want it to be his choice, not my choice, and he understands that. But my two older ones, my nine-year-old boy and my seven-year-old girl, they just love the Lord. And I baptized them, you know, recently, and uh, I remember just standing over the baptismal pool going, and I said it out loud in front of the church, said, listen, ma and dad don't get this right, and we've messed up, but it's a miracle that you've come to Jesus. And it's an even greater miracle that, you know, my son, the son of an evangelist, would love Jesus. And my wee girl, oh my goodness, she has such a compassionate heart. Like, she'll cry if she sees me cry. If I'm even remotely sad, she'll cry. So the both of them have made their own choice to follow Jesus. And, you know, if the Lord takes me, you know, after Caleb and Little River come to him, it'll be all right. I hope he does, and I want to watch them grow. But if all I ever do is know that those kids love Jesus, then I've won. Especially from where you've come from, atheist. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I think of the word atheist, if we're still doing that game, we're still doing that game. The word atheist, I think of my own pride. Mm. You know, I went through a period as an older teenager where I was just so prideful. And I was like, oh, this God can't exist. He can't tell me what to do. He's not even real because my rationalization demonstrates that he's not real. And I look back now and I go, how foolish. How childish was I inside my tiny little brain to think that I could understand the king of the universe. And I have... People would say, oh, you can't prove God's real. No, I can't, but I love him. I've never said that before. I can't prove that he's real, but I love him in the same way that I can't prove to my wife that I love her. But yes, I do. And yeah, and you hear that and you go, oh, you can prove it. You can show it. Yeah, I can demonstrate it, but I still can't. No one can be sure that I love my wife. Not even her, but I know. That's really good. Try to disprove that, my atheist friends. You are as real and as raw as it gets. Thank you for that. We need that. Mm. And uh, it's your wife's fault. No. <laughs> it is, it's, all of it's her fault. We wouldn't be doing music. wouldn't be here. I wouldn't even have a relationship with Jesus had she not believed in me when I had nothing, when I was nothing, when I was an adulterer, you know, and an atheist that had drunk. She still saw the best in me because she'd been with Jesus. Moving here was like, honestly, my wife doesn't want to live here in America. She doesn't want me being gone. 50% of the year. You know, she was texting me this morning, excited about me coming home, saying I'm really looking forward to some normality. And I'm thinking, well, normality's not going to come until the 1st of December. Actually, we booked some more shows until the 9th of December. It's hard. Imagine saying that to your wife. Listen, you can have me in a month and a half, you know, but she chooses to give herself away. Like, she chooses that. I've given her every opportunity to quit this thing, and she won't take it because she knows what he said. 
and she's obedient in a way that I'll never be or never understand. Much love to Heidi. Yeah, she's she's a good woman. One more, one more word. This may lighten it up a little for us. <laughs> good luck. Cheese whiz. Oh, Zach Williams. That dude, I don't know if you know how to say this word, but he may be the most redneck individual I've ever met in my entire life. I remember when he was opening up on the tour we were doing with Big Daddy Weave, and uh, it's the first time I'd ever met Zach. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this guy is as tall as a tree, you know? Then he's sitting on the bus after the show, and I don't know him that well, and he doesn't know me. And he starts talking about Cheese Whiz. I'm what the, what is Cheese Whiz? And he pulls out this can, like an aerosol can. And I'm like, dude, you can't eat that. That's going to be like rat poison. That's going to hurt you on the inside out, you know, from the inside out. Sounds like that Christian song. But uh, he's sitting there spraying this stuff on crackers, and I'm going, oh, Lord, I'm in the wrong culture. This can't be a thing, like, you know, Cheese Whiz. <laughs> Three questions. Mm. For as real, raw, authentic as you are, your music is, what's something that we might be surprised to know about you? Huh. Um, I love playing ping pong a lot. I'm addicted to ping pong. I love growing vegetables. I really love to grow things. I miss my mom. What was her name? Oh, she's still alive. <laughs> her name is Carmel Rose Mulligan. I named my baby girl Emmanuel Rose Mulligan after her. I just miss I miss the normal things, just sitting at a table, you know? Not even talking, because we're not a big family for talking to each other, but just being with each other, you know? You'd be surprised to know that I am not the best dad in the world and not the best husband in the world. People assume that because I'm so empathetic with what we do and how we do it, you know, when I'm out in the world, they assume that I'm going to be the same at home. And I am the same. I don't change. But it's harder to love the people that you eat with every evening, that you lie beside in a bed every night. It's harder. It's harder to be that to them. And it's the human condition again, is that we wrestle most with those we're closest to. So you'd be surprised to know that I'm not dad of the year, I'm not husband of the year, but it is something that I want to become. I want to become the best daddy I can, the mm. best husband I can. It's a good place when we become real grateful, when we recognize how much Jesus understands the human condition. Yeah, and Jesus loves humans. America is obsessed with souls. <laughs> hmm. Now, I love you, America, but if you stop worrying about saving souls and started loving some human beings and let Jesus go and do what he does with souls, we'd be all right. We're more concerned about hands popping up in a meeting than we are about feeding widows and orphans. More concerned about L LED walls in churches than we are about actually loving people who are considering abortion. More concerned about what song we're singing on a Sunday morning or at a We Are Messengers concert than we are about rooting out the cause of adultery or loving those in adultery. So out of all you've been through, so in, throughout this entire journey, I've actually noticed, this is a sidebar, I've got mm. a lot of trash can stories. <laughs> you have a lot of stories that have <laughs> evolved around a trash can, somebody taking the trash out, trash cans behind yeah. a bar, a lot of trash can stories. I, 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 you would not believe how profound what you just said is. I was in the airport yesterday. Jen had just walked past. Uh, she had, you'd gone on ahead of me. I went to TSA pre-yesterday to go through. And I was standing, putting my belt back on. And there's a, an African-American lady standing with her head hunched over a trash can again. And I didn't do anything this time. But all I could remember thinking was, wow, I am just blown away by the diligence of this lady, you know. By what it takes to go to work in the morning knowing that your job is going to result around you picking up other people's grossness. And I remember thinking, dude, in the kingdom of heaven, this woman is going to be exalted. Meanwhile, I'm putting my belt on, thinking I'm something, going to get a croissant at, at Starbucks, you know, thinking I've got it made. And the Lord's eye, I'm sure in that moment the Lord's eye was not in me, it was on her. And so whenever I see someone taking out the, the trash or the rubbish as we call it, 
I'm always reminded by how amazing that is. And I have no pity for them. I actually pity myself in that moment because I'm all puffed up and conceited with my own sense of self-importance. And the Lord says, I oppose the proud. I oppose them. I turn my face from them, but I exalt the humble. So yeah, may we all be like little ladies at the back of arenas who have lost their children and are still picking up the trash because they're going to provide for the ones they love. Mm-hmm. May we be more like them and less mm-hmm. like a... Mm-hmm. Mr. Slick standing on the stage with a leather jacket telling everybody how awesome the kingdom of God is mm-hmm. and then going home and living in his multi-million dollar mansion mm-hmm. while... And I ain't... Listen, just on that, I'm not I'm not opposed to people having wealth. I think wealth is, is a gift and you can use it in a, in a very beautiful way. What I am opposed to is the idea that on one hand I'll tell people I love the kingdom of God and I love Jesus and on the other hand I'll be a selfish, self-centered, egocentric punk and america you have more than your fair share of wolves and sheep clothing but you also have more of your fair share of incredible human beings taking the trash out that love jesus yes Yes. so you have both maybe honor those who have less or maybe honor those who have more and choose to give their lives away but we love to honor the flashy we love to honor the quick fixes we love to honor those that appear like they have it all together give me Give me the broken, give me your sick, give me your poor, give me the weary, give me the prostitute and the beggars and the thieves and the outcasts. I'll hang with them any day over someone with a perfect smile and a perfect song. What's that 21 Pilots line? Don't trust the perfect person, don't trust the perfect song. They don't exist. Everyone's crooked. Everyone has gone astray. Each has turned their own way. But then everyone has the potential of being made incredibly beautiful and incredibly Mm. whole in Jesus Christ. Amen. So far in your journey, you have had a lot of those moments. What would you look back on and say, that was a pinch me moment, a moment where I said, wow. (laughs) It, It happens all the time. I could give you like a lot of examples of at shows where there's thousands and thousands of people singing your songs and any amount of those. Like, I never thought I'd get beyond singing in my living room to Jesus. And we have thousands of people singing every word of every song every night. Uh, but the pinch me moments are always the ones I don't expect. You know, there was, uh, there was a little girl at the show the other night with Down Syndrome. You know, she was probably in her mid-twenties. Very obviously had a Down Syndrome. And I was singing a song called Point to You. And it's big raucous. Our, our live shows are rowdy, you know, real raucous and messy. And, you know, they're, they're a lot of fun. And singing Point to You, the crowd's going berserkers singing this song. And this wee girl with Down Syndrome starts blowing me kisses. And I'm like, oh, what do I do with this? And so I started blowing her kisses back. Now, if you're in the back of this auditorium with 3,000 people, you're wondering why is the lead singer of We Are Messengers blowing kisses at women? And it appears really odd. So anyway, the song finishes and I kind of walk to the edge of the stage, not wanting anything. But this little lady runs forward to me and she grabs my hand and she pulls me down. And then she starts kissing my cheek, right? And I just wept. I just started weeping. And it wasn't because I had pity on her because she had Down syndrome and she was being nice to me. No, I wept because I realized that this girl in her innocence knew Jesus. Mm. And because she knew Jesus, she knew me. It was like she could see through all my phony like she could see all the dirty, lustful parts of me. And I just wept because she knew me. That. And then a few weeks before that, there was this lady came to a show. She had been to one of our shows about three years ago. When Everything Comes Alive came out, she heard it in the radio. She came to a show. And I prayed for her. I said, um, she was standing in the side line. And I said, I pray that the Lord would fill your womb and that his name would be Joy. Okay. Really stupid prayer. Like, who prays that for a random woman you've just met? I did. She came back to a show a few weeks ago. Same woman. She said, do you remember me? I said, yeah, I do, because she's really distinctive. She was young, very pretty, tall. She's just really distinctive. You'd recognize her. And she had this little kid 
hanging on to her leg like kids do, just causing all kinds of mischief. And he had a very obvious physical and mental disability. Right? She's, he's going crazy. She's trying to do what moms do, which is just survive a conversation. And I said, who's this? And she said, this is my son, Joy. And I was like, you got to be having a laugh. And she said, what you didn't realize was three years ago when you prayed for me, I was a prostitute and I was pregnant with this kid from a customer. And she said, well, here he is. Do you know? And people say, I don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> in this moment, as we record this podcast, you are about to bless us <laughs> with another We Are Messenger song called Maybe It's Okay. Mm. Yeah, I love that you set it up with the idea of, of blessing. I believe the Lord speaks to us through blessings. You know, he spoke to Father Abraham, said, I'm going to bless you with these people. And when we are messengers, we always want what we do to be good news, like it's good news. And I think sometimes in our culture, we confuse good news with only ever sounding kind of perfect, you know, or complete. Through the way we start songs and... In verse 1, we have a problem. Chorus 1, Jesus comes in. It's a bit better. Second verse, problem's getting better. Second chorus, Jesus destroys the problem. Bridge, we're all celebrating. Last chorus, all's great, all is well. It's not my life. It's never been my life. I've never experienced that. So my life is a constant series of disappointments and heartache and joy and happiness and emotions swinging to and fro. And I've been surrounded by people that have struggled with mental health all of their lives. And they've never had the magical Christian fix of being perfectly well. And so I wanted to write a song for them to say, it's okay when you're not okay, because I feel that too. I am that too. And pretending is a heavy load to carry. But life is a heavy load to carry too. So maybe it's okay if I'm not okay. And I looked at the verses, and the verses I talk about, if I didn't know what it hurt like to be broken, I'd never know what it's like to be whole. If I didn't know what it cut like to be rejected, I'd never know the joy of coming home. I used to think that everything I've done in my life before Jesus was a waste, like it didn't matter, like it should be banished. And then the Lord was like, darn, nothing's wasted, not a drop is spilled, not your adultery, not your violence, not your drunkenness. And again, in our society, we like to go, oh no, all of that is terrible. It is, because it all leads to sadness, horror, and death, right? But when Jesus is involved, he takes all of that brokenness and he says, well, I'm making something really beautiful and you'll never see it, you'll never understand it. And I catch glimpses of what that looks like. But I wanted to remind people that you might think that right now in your circumstance, in your disappointment, that it's all lost, it's all wasted. It's really not. He's just working. He's just, he's making clay. You know, he's a potter. And if you can hold on, if you can tell your truth, if you can let people see your nakedness, your brokenness, and you can trust that it's okay because he's holding you, we have this great hope in Jesus. And we pray, Father, let your will become, you know, let your will come, let your kingdom be done, whatever, on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. But a lot of time we don't really want that. We want all of the kingdom and all of our will. We want all of the kingdom and no suffering. We want all of the kingdom and our depression to go away tonight. The kingdom doesn't look the way we want it to look. And therefore we try and change it to become something else. And even we try to present the kingdom of God as the perfect parts of us. Without spots, without blemish. He's without spot, without blemish. We're full of spots and blemishes. Being made new. We are transformed into the kingdom of the son of his love. But it's a process. And during the process, there's fallout. I have met people this morning already who are aching. I'm aching. Mm. Do you know the most hopeful thing I can say in this season in my life? The most hopeful, and let's use Christian radio terms, positive, you know, joyful, you know, let's use those terms. The most positive, joyful, and encouraging, encouraging. What else you got? Can show me some more Christianism. <laughs> Inspiring. Inspiring, right? I believe in all those things. You know what the most encouraging thing I can say is maybe it's okay if I'm not okay. Because mm -hmm. he's with me. Amen. And he's for me. And that's enough. If I make it to tomorrow, it's enough. We appreciate you staying so sensitive to the spirit so that God can use you mm. and remind us that maybe it's okay to not be okay. Yeah.
It is. That's a true statement. We are messengers don't deal in falsities. We don't need just to like us. We don't need the applause anymore. But the gospel is a big rescue boat, and we want to be on that. And that's going to take people to give each other permission. So the song is designed to give you permission to feel whatever you need to feel in the moment, to not be okay. And when you give someone that permission, then they can fall apart knowing that they are held safe in the arms of Jesus. But we need to give each other that permission because right now we haven't. In our churches, we don't talk about depression a lot. We don't talk about suicide and suicidal ideation. We don't talk about anxiety or self-harm because we've made them taboo. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about them and we don't give people the freedom to say, this is how I am, this is how I feel, this is what's going on in my life. How are we ever going to help? How are we ever going to love someone? Otherwise, we're just having conversations with ghosts. I've never Mm. said that either. Just ghosts. We're just ghosts walking around, pretending to be something we're not. No one's ever saying anything real or being anything real. And we're missing it. The point of humanity is that we would learn to love each other in all of our flaws, just like Jesus has loved the church, his bride, in all of her flaws too. He hasn't let the church go. So why should we let each other go because we're not the way we want people to be? It's a really good song. So what is the best way to connect with you? The basic one is music. So I tell my wife when she doesn't understand how I feel, I say, will you please go listen to my music? Listen to this song. A lot of the new songs in the new record are just songs about me telling her that I desperately need her. And I'm sorry. All right. And people say, well, that's not a Christian song. And I say, well, you don't understand the gospel. What is more holy? A man trying to tell Jesus that he looks like a mountain? Or a man trying to tell his wife that he loves her like the bride of Christ that she is. One way is through music. Um, the other way is social media. And social media is very dangerous. We use it to start conversations. If you go to Facebook, We Are Messengers, um, and you send private messages, I get those. And I reply to as many of those as I can. But as you can probably imagine, we're kind of swamped with those. But I try to make it through all of them. We hear you and we see you. And we pray when we can. We give when we can. I got another story. Uh, There was a kid at a show in Michigan, came to the table, single mother with this kid. I wasn't there at the time. They wanted to buy a Weir Messenger's hat and they had no money. But a man in the line, this is the kind of fans we have, they're just, they're so awesome. The man behind the line said, oh, you don't have money? I'll buy you the hat. So he bought her the hat. And then the wife, or the sorry, the mother, single mother, and the kid came through the signing line. And I was there at this point, obviously, I was signing stuff. And she came up and explained the story about the hat, how she got the hat. And I says, well, do you need anything else? And she said, well, we can't pay our electricity bills. We just, you know, we just can't pay it. We don't have enough money for food even. And I prayed for her, me and the boys in the band. We just put our hands around. We prayed and we were like, you know, may the Lord give you everything you need. And may you may you be well. And, and then we sent her on away and she went walking off. And I stood watching her walk away and Drake, my tour manager, was beside me. And I said, Drake, do you know what I am? I'm a hypocrite. I'm a punk because I have money in my pocket and she can't even keep her lights on. So I said, go and take what we have in the merch and give it to that family that they would have what they need. Now, I can't meet everybody's need that loves we are messengers, you know. But maybe if we were like that, that if we were willing to give the things away that we have so that other people could have their lights on. Stop worrying about souls. Pay some electricity bills. Stop trying to save souls, you know. Working your crash at church. You know, our obsession with souls is making us miss people if we can't i can't see anyone's soul i can see them jesus is able to save the soul the father is able to reconcile the soul to him but he uses us us to be the hands and feet of jesus so
So yeah, connect with us through social media, through music. Tell us your stories. We read them all. I love your stories. I hear them. Every day of the week they come in. Do you know some people don't like us? Do you know that? How come? Because we tell the truth. I don't assume that my truth is absolute truth for everyone. I don't. Me and Jen disagree on a lot of issues. But I love Jen and she loves me. But I tell the truth. Do you know? Why are we so afraid of rowing in behind those who would give their lives away? We care more about mega church than we do about someone who's out doing a feeding program in our homeless communities. Do you know? You know the Father, then you have everything in Him that you need. But I have means now that I didn't have, and I'm going to use them to meet the needs that I can. But your gifts are being used very well, too. Well, thank you. I, For the longest time, I couldn't say thank you to that. Mm. Because I would think, well, there's nothing good in me except Jesus. Therefore, I can't say thanks. And the Lord rebuked that, too. And He said, every time you don't say thank you, you're insulting the gift that I've given you. So, thank you is the answer. You're welcome. <laughs> That's good. Mm. I get in trouble. I say too much. And my, my opinions change too. My views and things change. See, the gospel is black and white in a lot of places. Very, very clear, very, very specific. But a lot of it is very gray. That's where grace comes in. We have to have grace with each other to, di- to disagree. You know. That's also where new songs come into play. So you can keep <laughs> evolving your gift yeah. and your thoughts. Like I would never have written a song called Maybe It's Okay If I'm Not Okay two years ago four years ago when we signed a record deal yeah i would have and then as time went on i was like oh well now i have to present a side of myself that is palatable to the industry but now i'm back Beth, and i really don't care what anybody thinks of me it's okay it's okay and the worst thing that could happen is my career falls apart i still have jesus and the best thing is that happened that my career absolutely thrives and that we fill arenas and we get to go and love them imagine that happened imagine that happened to someone like me thank you for sharing everything yeah the joy you're an easy woman to talk to because you don't uh, you don't play the game no <laughs> yeah, that's my joy thank you three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.